Our bodies are different every moment, literally. Cells are created, cells die. Oxygen comes in, carbon dioxide out, neural pathways fire, fluid moves hormones from one area to another in our bodies. Yet, we come to believe certain stories about our bodies, like, I am sick, or I am chronically ill, or I have low back pain, or I am broken. We're told these stories by doctors, peers, and the media, which reinforces the belief, the belief that we are broken. But what if these stories were just that, stories? What if the power to heal ourselves lived inside of ourselves? The Here Now Body Pod explores journeys of healing. How can pain be our teacher? And can we use our pain or suffering as a portal into our own awakening. For our first episode on the Here Now Body Pod, meet Amanda. Amanda is, first and foremost, my friend. For the last four years, she's also been healing from a chronic illness, red skin syndrome, which was caused by topical steroid withdrawal. I myself also have a chronic illness, Mollaret's meningitis. More on that later. But we were friends long before we both experienced chronic illness. However, our decade of friendship has allowed us to really dive deep into some tough questions and beautiful conversation on what it's like to be sick, to be forced to change your life, and ultimately, how to heal. Hello. Hey. We're doing it. We're doing it. Hello, world. Hello, world. We're here to tell our stories and to learn what we really don't like about our voices when they're recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's take two deep breaths together. Okay. So would you mind just beginning by telling us a little bit about your story with chronic illness? Yeah. So my illness, um, is called red skin syndrome. And really this, the beginning was, um, was infancy. Um, I was born with eczema um, it, uh, sort of worked itself out in my like middle school years and then returned when I was in, um, like my early twenties when I was traveling and just exhausting myself and, um, partying a lot, drinking, not sleeping well, just kind of constantly changing my routine, not even having a routine and my eczema flared up again. So I started using, um, topical steroids, um, which were prescribed to me by dermatologists and I followed their, um, I followed the recommendations, but 
as I continued to use the steroids, my symptoms would rebound worse and worse with every round. So I'd go back to the dermatologist and show them my worsening symptoms. And I would hear something like, this is typical. I know that you feel like you had really clear skin through your teens and early 20s, but you know, this is how it goes sometimes. And you're presenting like a classic eczema patient. And Mm. really the only thing we can offer you is these steroids. And if you don't like the topicals, well, then we can give you these injections. We can give you prednisone, you know, systemic steroids are an option. And I trusted them. So I was taking them and um, I was traveling around a lot. So it was kind of hard to have consistent care, but I knew the prescription that worked, which was a level five potency topical steroid. And in the Caribbean and in Spain and in France, I could just get it over the counter for a few euros without prescription. So I just started dumping my body with these um, with these creams. But I noticed after a couple of years that if I were to just go a couple of days without using them, that I would rebound with like red burning skin head to toe. So that was when I was like 24 years old. Uh, I just got to the point with my eczema that it was out of control. It wasn't managed. Um, I was doing things like dipping into the ship's medical kit and like finding the prednisone and, and um, just... which let's pause for a second. Yeah. Why are you on a ship in France and in the Caribbean? <laughs> okay. Um, well, when I was 21, I, I left um, California and I got a one-way ticket to Florida to join the yachting industry. So I spent um, about five years working on super yachts Um. Okay, so here you are on super yachts, and your eczema comes back. So you're managing international healthcare slash just getting over-the-counter steroid creams wherever you can around the world while also sailing around the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't even really know what to do at this point. It was getting so bad. Like, at one point, I was in key west florida and the owners of the yacht were arriving to um, sail to cuba for christmas and i had an outbreak that was so unbearable that i mean everybody was noticing it my face was like super flushed red it was starting to get really painful to be in hot weather and to be breaking even like a little bit of a sweat so i went to um immediate care in Key West and a physician there just gave me 10 days worth of prednisone and that was the best my skin has ever been but you know it was that kind of situation like unfortunately for me I didn't have the consistent care um so I was kind of self-managing it and it was it was it was risky you know I the dermatologist that I have in my hometown Chico he um he knows my whole story and has my full record now. And like looking back on those years, he just, he's shocked at the amount of steroids that I was like administered, you know, he would have never prescribed me that much, but sadly, like I'm not the only person who has the story. And there are so many people who have suffered with this um, steroid addiction, topical corticosteroid addiction. Um, and you know, they have, they've had consistent care. That's, that's a really sad reality about this illness is, there are thousands of people who are treated regularly by dermatologists who deny that um, the dependency is a side effect and they just continue to up the dose. And, you know, there are people who have, you know, I, I use them pretty heavily for about two years, but there are other folks for 20 years who have used them and um, wow. have to go through a withdrawal. And really like the withdrawal, um, which is the red skin syndrome, like this is all just kind of the background to really the meat and potatoes of the hell that I lived through. Um, the withdrawal is 
is really the only way to like stop the dependency on the on the medication so what cued you or brought you the idea of withdrawing from the steroids did you hear that from a doctor no I I kind of noticed it on my own I guess because the more I was using them the worse I got like the the trip to Cuba was kind of the hallmark where like here I am without using any steroids flushed red head to toe and then I take 10 days of prednisone and my skin's perfect and like wow these number one these drugs are super powerful and number two I can't function without them you know and and this was not the way that it was before like the dosage ramped up and the severity of my symptoms ramped up at the same time so I had to put the pieces together and notice that the more I was using the medication the worse I, I got and um Finally, I, oh God, this is the, the first couple days of a trip across the ocean. Wait, let me back up. So I had decided decided that I wanted to stop using steroids and see if I could deal without them and like heal my body naturally. But I had nobody holding my hand through this. I did not know what was going to come. I had never (laughs) witnessed anyone else go through withdrawal, but I just decided I'd throw the tubes away and I would take off on our transatlantic crossing on the sailboat without oh boy without bringing any steroids with me and uh on the second or third day of the trip we had a bit of internet and i googled um steroid induced eczema and uh and then i found this website the international topical steroid addiction network and found stories of thousands of people just like me and i saw a bunch of photos that were horrific and all these symptoms that was exactly how i could describe what I was going through and uh, it started to be, it didn't mean it began like just a few days after being off the steroids, I was bright red and burning and swollen and I mean, purple essentially, and just incessant bone deep itch. And I just couldn't wait until we got to Spain. Cause um, I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't be like away from, from home and deal with it. Oof. How did it feel when you found all that information on the internet that kind of gave you a clue into what was going on in your body? I will never forget that moment. It was, it was at the same time, a tremendous relief. And it was also so terrifying, you know, because it was like, I was at this threshold of a new chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had found the path to my healing, but that I could no longer deny that um, that I could carry on like living my life, you know, it was like, I didn't have to be confused anymore about what I was going through. It was like, I found my answer. And for two years while I was just struggling with worse and worse eczema and using all these steroids, like I just was so beside myself, confused, trying all these natural remedies, but you know, never really getting to the core of it. Cause meanwhile, I was still using all the steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I found my answer, but I also knew that I had a really long road ahead of me. I mean, the website was showing people's stories of healing, which were taking anywhere from six months to four years. So, you know, I was terrified and I thought, well, for sure, I'm going to be six months. You know, I've only taken the steroids for two years and I'm, I'm young and healthy and I'm going to like, but I won't be worst case scenario, you know, like I'll get through this pretty quickly. So this is going to be really shitty to lose out on the rest of the summer, but I'll just move home and (laughs) I will get through this. And by the winter time, I'll be back on the boat with my boyfriend, business as usual, back to my old life. And I was just really sad at the beginning about the prospects of losing like one summer, but little did I know that it would be about 
four years and <laughs> and here <Yeah>. we are <laughs> yeah. yeah could you talk a little bit more about the the symptoms and you can kind of go into what your next steps were after Spain but I got to see you once you came back from yachting with some of these red skin syndromes and watched you at various stages throughout your healing and withdrawal, et cetera. So can, can you just paint a picture for us of these symptoms? Cause I think it's hard to know unless you've seen somebody in it or I go on topical steroid withdrawal Instagrams and then you could find out everything you ever wanted to know. Yeah. But paint a little picture for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the way that the steroids work is by constricting your blood vessels and by simulating a hormonal response of cortisone. So Mm -hmm. your immune system says like alert, you know, we're being sensitive. There's something here. We're a compromised. And for atopic people, like for eczema type of people, we're really sensitive on the skin. So we're constantly having this immune response in our skin, which causes the inflammation and the rashing. So steroids are like this perfect drug because it calms the redness by constricting the um, blood vessels. And then it simulates this cortisone response, which calms the inflammation. And I don't know too much about the mechanisms of it, but so you become dependent on that. And then when you take it away, your blood vessels open and they're basically paralyzed open. So my skin, all the vessels in my skin were open and just burning red the inflammation was like so intense that it would um, like pinch nerves. So I would have these like pins and needles and nerve pain. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, let's just go through like the symptom, like what your skin does. It thermoregulates. So I lost that function. I felt super hot when it was cold, super cold when it was hot. My brother got married in June and like 90 degrees and I was wearing a down jacket shivering. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't sweat for a couple of years. A ton of my hair fell out. Um, mm-hmm. I pretty much just shed constantly. Like every morning I would take my sheets out to the yard and shake them out. Cause they were full of skin, just like slowing off flaking skin, just shedding skin yeah. for years. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh gosh, I looked Amanda. like a zombie. I mean, I had yellow crust on my cheeks. <laughs> my skin was like super raw and oozing. I would like have to peel my leggings off of me one of the best ways I can describe it is like if you've ever taken a fall on pavement and you've gotten like a little raspberry imagine like a micro version of that raspberry but head to toe you're just like porous and raw and isn't it crazy how you really don't think about your skin or a function of any part of your body until suddenly it's not there yeah yeah. 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 I, I mean, know. your skin is your largest, isn't it your largest organ in your body? Yeah. 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 And it's where we have a lot of our nerves, you know, it's our sensing organ. It's how we feel the things around us. And so I just felt so trapped inside my body. Yeah. I really felt like I was in this prison of this painful, painful bag of hell. And I just always had this feeling of wanting mm-hmm. to unzip and walk out. You know, I felt yeah. really cursed by being trapped inside of the skin and, um, yeah thank god for some periods where the flares would subside um it can be a really long and confusing journey because you can be like in the depths of a flare that lasts a few months and then you can heal and have a couple of months where you feel like wow I'm done like my withdrawal is over and you start Mm -hmm. to live your life again which is what I did you know first four months for me were probably the worst physically 
Um, and so I actually was able to fly back to the boat, like maybe month five or six, because my skin was doing so well. And then immediately when I got there, I started falling apart again and flared horrendously and had to fly back home. There was two times that I did that, actually. So I mean, I think it's the case with a lot of chronic illness, you're just not quite accepting of the fact of like, how much it's going to really impact your life. So you know, you want to return to normal, you want to carry on with things that you used to be able to do. And sometimes the illness says, nope, like, we've got totally. more work to do. Oh, my gosh. And I know for myself, I got told no, by my illness. So just a little background on me, I mentioned earlier, I have molar AIDS meningitis, but that means that I get recurrent meningitis. And it basically comes on whenever my immune system gets knocked down. So in this sort of phasic way that Amanda's illness also works, sometimes I'm totally fine. And then other times I just get knocked down to the ground completely. Mm-hmm. And to hear the message that I needed to drastically change my life. I mean, I still, I still need to hear that message all the time. But for me, that's the hardest thing to accept about chronic illness is that it forces you to change and you didn't decide to. So it doesn't mean that you're ready. It's kind of like ready or not, here I come Mm -hmm. and change your whole life now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to start this podcast is to be there for people when they do realize, oh, wow, I'm going to have to change something. And I don't know if I have the strength to do that or I don't, I don't know how. So when do you think, or maybe you're still in this process, but when do you think that first really hit you? Like, oh man, I'm getting forced to change my life and I'm really going to have to switch things around here. I think on one level, it happened immediately, you know, like in a very literal sense, I had to book a one-way flight from Spain back to California and kiss my boyfriend goodbye. And, you know, I, by that point I had found a, a dermatologist who had treated thousands of people with red skin syndrome. And he said, this is going to be hell. You better, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to work. You're going to have to change everything. You're going to need someone to care for you. Like you're just going to want to come somewhere where you can be in the bathtub all day pretty much. And then come see me when you can get to LA so like on the one sense it was it was immediately you know it wasn't this wasn't something that like crept in slowly the second I took the steroids away I got to a pretty like poor state physically so you know there was that but I think I was still in denial about it because I thought that I would heal relatively quickly um so yeah, after a few months, I tried to go back to my old life and that didn't work out. So I came home again for another few months and I tried that again. And I just, I kept thinking that there'd be some end date. Like if I could just, you know, do things right and give myself the time and be patient that I would heal and then could go back to how things were. And I I see now looking back that that was still that denial phase, you know, like Mm -hmm. I hadn't really accepted that this would be something that I might have to live with long-term. I, I honestly, I think it was probably like two and a half years in where I finally came to a deeper level of acceptance with this and, you know, let go of a lot of the things that I used to define myself as, you know, like I used to be somebody that felt like I could just jump in the ocean at any moment. And, you know, even after yeah. two and a half years, my skin would still flare up, like maybe not in a debilitating sense, but definitely uncomfortable and, and rashy where like, the ocean just burned so you know maybe getting in the ocean isn't something that I can do right now and fight like thankfully with the help of some amazing therapists I was able to 
come to accept that like I just had a body that was different than my body used to be and this body could still do really cool things that that weren't the same but you know that was still wonderful and worth living for so that acceptance I think is something that we get to slowly and it happens in retrospect you know yeah I don't think you can force acceptance on somebody when they're not ready I mean you said two and a half years like I think it probably took me five. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways I'm still not accepting this. You know, yeah. like my yeah. neck is breaking out right now and I've been looking in the mirror super angry, you know, but it's, yeah. it's like we can be angry about this. Like we don't have to be martyrs and like find the insights and the wisdom in this all the time. Like some days we just like we can be angry. It's there's a lot to be angry about. Like, yeah, it feels like it feels like when you're dealing with the flare or you're dealing with just a bad day or just you know confronted with the reality that you have a body that is sick or broken or wounded or whatever it feels like it's failing you you know and it just mm-hmm. it's really something to like be angry about you know it sucks like it's bad I mean for anyone at any age but especially at like 25 I was so angry and six hours a day in the bathtub with this broken, oozing skin, I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror. That wasn't, that wasn't what it was supposed to be like. So the acceptance, like, yeah, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a small task. And, um, yeah, I don't think anyone could have asked that of me like too early. Cause I had to process the, the other stages of grief, you know, like I had to get through the denial first. I had to get through the anger first. I had to sink in the t- depression and just be really sad that my body was, you know, was failing me. And I know now that like my body wasn't failing me. It was really doing the best that it could to heal and serve me, but mm-hmm. it was really failing my expectation of it. Exactly. Yeah. I was reading my journal after we talked the other day about first doing this podcast and I read this one line that I wrote that was like, I wonder what it feels like to be healed. Mm -hmm. And I was obsessed with this, like how you said end date that like one day I'd be healed and there would just be like this moment where things were back to normal and like, gosh, what would it feel like? And in a way that took me away from healing yeah (laughs) Yeah. you know like the obsession with healing takes you away from maybe accepting is a a really hard word at first but like recognizing what's really going on and like recognizing the truth of what's going on like I know for me and you both recognizing how life stressors played into our disease presentation and like it wasn't so much like oh my body's out to get me I have this disease but rather Mm -hmm. like wow like I am in like my soul my mind are in a relationship with my body and with this disease and I'm responsible a little bit in this yeah and maybe a lot of it and in what ways do I let stress or my expectation of my life or drinking a bunch of caffeine and staying out late work its way into my body and present this disease and then in what ways do I feel like a victim when really I had a little part to play or maybe a big part to play yeah I mean I think with responsibility for illness it needs to be framed in an empowering sort of way right Mm -hmm. so not a blaming way not a blaming way it's not your fault that you're sick 
you yeah. know like mm-hmm. it's normal to expect that your that your body will be healthy and comfortable if you just go on living life like everyone else around you right mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's pretty obvious that we have so many things in our world that are really unhealthy for us but when you're like when you're young and you're just kind of doing what young people do like you don't expect that you're going to fall apart so Mm-mm. you know i think it's like it's really important that we slow down we learn to like manage our health we rest more we eat more nourishing foods maybe we try to bring in some alternative like practices and explore those types of things to see if maybe that can bring us some healing but from like a proactive and empowering kind of space not from like oh I need to do this right like hope this works I'm just gonna throw some more money at that and oh maybe it's my fault and if I hadn't done this then I wouldn't be in this situation and all of that just kind of like carries so much negative like shaming kind of blaming sort of attitude towards yourself and that's not what you need to heal you know like I think loving your body despite its condition is is really crucial for lasting healing so how do you feel like you move beyond that blame stage because I think a bunch of us experience that yeah Well, I didn't from like in my situation, when I was taking all those steroids, I really didn't know any better, you know? So like for me, I wasn't blaming myself so much as I was blaming doctors. And Mm -hmm. um, that was also another really ugly beast because I was so angry with them. And I for a long time, I just didn't trust Western medicine at all. And, um, you know, whether that's like warranted or not, I think it depends on your situation and your condition and like the physicians that you've had. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I didn't blame myself for the steroid use. I guess I kind of, I I found myself getting caught in these cycles of like, well, if I, if I could just cut out alcohol for three months, you know, Mm -hmm. then my skin would be perfect. And oh, if I could just do raw vegan diet, then I would heal like so-and-so on Instagram. And, you know, I see these stories of people like having the discipline to change certain things and I might give that a go for a couple of weeks and then fall back to my old, you know, habits. And I feel really guilty about that, you know, like, why can't I just stick with this protocol or why can't I just be more consistent with my acupuncture or, you know, and kind of blaming myself for not being better at being sick, you know, like not doing the things that somebody who's sick is supposed to do to heal themselves. Mm. And really, what does that say about me? Like, what is that? Do I really want to be better? And like, do I really love my body? And, you know, kind of really feeling a lot of shame about not being more disciplined in some of the remedies that I, I thought might help. But um, I think that's when I came to this realization that like, you've got to try those things out from the right place. Exactly. If you think that those alternative remedies or those tweaks to your diet are is going to be the end all and that's going to be the answer and you go at it like kind of cashing all your chips in on that one thing, that is just the perfect recipe to be disappointed. (laughs) You know, it's also like wherever you go, there you are. So whatever Mm. practice you take on, you're bringing all of your attitudes and beliefs and shame and whatever to it yeah so if something that contributes to your illness perhaps or my illness 
is my constantly high expectations of myself that I constantly Mm -hmm. disappoint myself with, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. if I'm going towards something that's supposed to heal me, really what I'm doing is I'm just repeating that story over and over, even if it's a raw diet or it's ice baths or whatever it is. So it's like, what's, I feel like sicknesses or illnesses come into your life and they have something unique to teach you and therefore your healing path has to be unique to you like when I first started I had the idea of starting this podcast I was like oh I should ask everybody kind of strategies for how to heal from this or from this but it's you and I both know it's so personalized And there's certain things that totally work, like ice baths really work for me, but some days they don't because Mm -hmm. some days the reason why my body is feeling certain symptoms isn't because I can't get out of my head. It's because I kind of treated my body really terribly and need to just detox for a few days and let some stressors leave, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I, I feel that there's almost, if you can find joy or pleasure or at least curiosity in trying to uncover what your healing journey or path is, then this whole experience just becomes lighter. Yeah, I totally agree. And we need to have hope, right? Like Mm -hmm. the placebo effect is so fascinating. (laughs) Over and over and over again, we have studies where people are given sugar pills and told that it's going to change something in their body and they they actually report that thing, you know? And I feel like so many of the remedies that I tried, it was like reverse placebo where I, (laughs) like, I wouldn't. You should study that. (laughs) No, like I went into it convinced that it wouldn't work. Yeah. Like sometimes so I go. expected like this will be my thing and this is going to be it. Right. But yeah. then I'd be so angry that I spent a bunch of money on it that like the yep. financial stress was kind of weighing me down more <laughs> than like the hope of the remedy actually being something useful. And then like the anti-placebo thing being like, oh, yeah, right. This is a hoax. You know, like the celery juice. Who's this medium guy? Like what does he know? <laughs> and, Darn medical medium. <laughs> yeah. Here I am trying it, but I'm also convinced it's not going to work. And so yeah of course it won't you know well, like wherever you go there you are like you brought yeah. all your stuff to whatever healing process you tried and like I I mean I know now that you're going to school for psychology because you're investigating your stuff and I I'm going to physical therapy school because I'm investigating the stuff that gets stored in my body and it's like I, yeah. I feel like we found different ways of healing that maybe weren't quite what anyone around us or in our online support groups were sharing or telling us Mm -hmm. at all like people told me to like you know cut out caffeine and alcohol and this whole long diet list and if I just slept this much and etc etc and took lysine this many times a day and it was like I did that for years I had so many supplements and Mm -hmm. I was exactly the same so it it almost Mm -hmm. is I love that term negative placebo (laughs) like uh, here goes another one and it's like really what you're doing is just practicing your frustration over and over yeah I know yeah and you're just disappointment and despair which is okay to feel those things too you know it's not Mm -hmm. like 
oh, now I'm not trusting in the remedies. And so it's my fault again, because I'm bringing all this baggage into it. It's like, just notice that. And notice like, it. Accept yourself and laugh a little bit and say, oh, Amanda, like, here you are angry and frustrated and, you know, feeling like this like you can just never get a break and it's going to be the same old bullshit over and over again. And, you know, so now that, know like, that, yeah. that mindfulness practice of noticing yourself and the, Oh, Amanda, Oh, yeah. Tara, that's a big mind shift to mm-hmm. jump into, like a big frame of reference to jump into. How did you begin to find, cause obviously it's a daily practice, mm-hmm. but begin to find your pathway instead of being so reactive to oh here I am again my skin is oozing to oh Amanda there you go again mm-hmm. I mean I think that I was the these flares and these symptoms were just so persistent for so many years that I that I wasn't really given the option to continue to ignore myself and like bury my emotions you know mm-hmm. in the beginning it, it would take like a week I think for me to notice that maybe a flare was brought on by something like some emotional distress I mean mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is the case for every illness but definitely with, with mine and I, I think it's very commonly reported with eczema that it can be stress induced and um and not just stress like oh I've got a lot of work and I've got these deadlines but just and like emotional stress too of like I don't feel like I belong in this in this community I don't feel like I'm accepted for who I am I don't know what I'm doing with my life I don't you know mm-hmm. um those are stressful things to be experiencing and um it used to take me like a week to notice that a flare might have been brought up on by something like that and now it's a lot more in the moment um yeah I think just by working with therapists and like developing breathing practice and kind of meditating going into my body and noticing that I experience things emotionally and physically at the same time they're so connected you know and I don't think in the beginning I was very aware of that but now I find myself in situations that are kind of emotionally triggering and I've learned to like take a deep breath kind of remove myself from the experience not to like be outside of it but to more like be watching myself in a situation and to just be observing my responses to it instead of being so consumed by it you know like I had to learn that difference of being like consumed by an emotion or being an observer of it so yeah now I feel like I mean I'm still working on it and it's still something I I struggle with but um it's really I think it really has been something that's helped my skin like I know when I need to go for a walk. I know when I need to take some time alone. Like I, I get stressed pretty easily emotionally. Like things trigger me, things bother me. I have a really strong sense of justice. I also feel really mm-hmm. attached to other people's views on certain things. So even like a political conversation, <laughs> now I'm like breaking out in hives and scratching myself. And I know that sounds so ridiculous, but like, have you seen something about Mary? Yes. You know, Woody? <laughs> yes. It's like Ted, I'm dying. <laughs> like I feel like woogie. I get in like an emotionally stressful situation and I start like my skin feels hot and red and itchy. And like really what I need to do is just kind of laugh at the situation and calm myself down. So mm-hmm. that's helped a ton. And I, I would I would have really hoped that 
that could be something that is useful to other people with other conditions. You know, I think it's certainly the case for a lot of people with eczema. And I also think that's one of just the most unfair parts about the chronic illness that you've experienced is that a bunch of people have chronic illnesses and you just can't see it. Like people wouldn't even really know that I was sick. Yeah. But with you, it was like, if your emotions got heightened, it's almost like a cartoon where like the cartoon character would suddenly start like getting red and you could like see their physical change to their emotions inside. And it was just, it's, it's unfair, but it's also this, this crazy, like unapologetic gift. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. You have no choice. Because the world is going to see exactly how you're feeling on the inside, whether you want them to or not. So you can either change the inside or keep going with your outside here. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Tara. I think that's so wise. I, uh, I came up with this analogy for myself that I'm like a puffer fish. <laughs> I think that's my spirit animal. I'm a puffer fish. It's like my skin's great. I'm swimming along. I'm doing life. Like la di da. Everything's good. And then something triggers me and I'm just like, whoop. <laughs> it's like, okay, body. Like, thank you very much. I'm going to take it easy. You know, I. it's really hard for me to like, in retrospect now, imagine myself learning some of the some of the things that I have learned about myself and about the world had I not gone through this so I am yeah so let's my skin for that let's talk about gratitude like let's talk about being grateful to your skin or being grateful for your illness like it it I I read that early on somewhere and I was like grateful for an illness like like get out of my face don't you even with me and now I'm like super grateful for it I love who I am and if you told me this is who I had to become I would have been like no thanks I'm gonna keep dancing and partying and playing with my friends but there's nobody I'd rather be and I know that we've had conversations where you've felt a similar way with your transformation so share gratitude yeah, what am I grateful for? Oh, the list is pretty long. I mean, the the list of things that I have really suffered with and hated about this experience is really long too, but um the gratitude list is pretty long. Um Well, I'm grateful that it sort of took me off my path, you know. I don't think mm-hmm. that I was really living the life that was meant for me. It was certainly fun and I was enjoying myself and making money and just kind of aimlessly going through my 20s, which is completely fine. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think there was really anything wrong with that. But I also really wanted something more. And uh, I remember just about a couple of weeks before I learned about what topical steroid withdrawal was when I was doing that ocean crossing. I said a prayer for a challenge. <laughs> oh, I don't recommend you did? anyone do ever. Like that was a lesson hard learned, you know. Challenges are going to come your way. You don't have to go looking for them, you know. I don't think I'm ever going to say that prayer again, but I just I felt like my life was a little bit um shallow and superficial, you know, and that wow. I was I was meant to do something more and I kind of reflected on like past experiences in my life where I grew and like learned something about myself and the world and those were always the hard times so I kind of wanted some kind of a challenge it's just so stupid 
but I got one. And um, yeah, I feel like it's been a tremendous opportunity for growth. Um, I no longer view my body as this thing that is supposed to feel good all the time and look beautiful. You know, that's not what your body is here to do. Like, I was really angry with it for a long time for the pain and Mm -hmm. the discomfort. But um, if I didn't have a sick, broken body, I just wouldn't even have a body at all. You know, I don't think there's any way unless you're an angel (laughs) to be on the earth without having a body. And um, so I kind of just came to grips with accepting an imperfect body. And I think that's something I'm really grateful for because you know, my youth is not going to last. Like there'll come a time when I've got like the aching knees and, you know, my hair turns gray and falls out and, you know, maybe I'll get in a car accident in 10 years and lose a limb. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Take that off the table. I know. I was with you until the car accident. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was thinking about how like really having, it's just, it's prepared you to grow old in a way. Yeah. Like growing old doesn't sound bad compared to red skin syndrome yeah like you won't be a puffer fish when you're old your knees will just hurt a little bit you won't be like oozing out of every pore in your body and unable to open your eyes and like need to spend six hours in a bathtub a day you just might have like trouble walking yeah yeah (laughs) you know Oh, I know. Or it might be worse, but like the skills that I've gained and just coping, you know, just getting through a really shitty day. I'm glad I had those skills. I mean, I'm grateful that I went through this because right now we're all doing the social isolation thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're ready. I did that for a couple of years and this is a whole nother thing. And, you know, that's a lot to to just get into, but I just want to touch on it briefly because, you know, I think that this has been a really difficult experience for a lot of people who are used to just being able to go out and be in public and go to the gym and go out to concerts and like get together for dinner parties with friends. And because of red skin syndrome, I really went through a, like a social distancing kind of phase for months, if not years. Like if you could add up all the months that I spent housebound with flares, it would probably be like, you know, over the past three or four years, it'd probably be like an, a year and a half of times yeah spent, like in lockdown mode just kind of coping and so now I just feel like this is gonna pass like we will get through this and it is hard to not be with people and to like kind of be alone with your thoughts but it's also really wonderful to have the solitude sometimes you know and to be comfortable with yourself even in an uncomfortable situation and know that like you don't have to be afraid of your own company you know, or you don't have to be mm. even afraid of your own dark thoughts. Like I had so many dark thoughts. My ugliest mm. self came forth during this. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity because when I was having my meltdowns and I was in like an absolute raging bitch screaming at my mom for bringing me scented lotion instead of the unscented stuff and like, you know, just blaming everybody. Like I've had a, I had a full episode in CBS one time. <laughs> I came, yeah, I came up to the counter to pick up my like cyclosporin. I was on immune suppressant drug and I looked like a freaking zombie. I mean, people were staring at me. I was all bandaged up and went in there like looking like, you know, some horror movie. And anyways, I noticed on the counter behind the pharmacist, all the steroids lined up, all the tubes, all the big tubs of steroid lotions, all the same stuff that I had been using for years. I recognized it. I know the names of all of it, right? Like I've 
I've had the full gamut. And I pointed to it and I said, look at that stuff. How much of that do you give out every day? You know, like, this is a crime. Look at me. Like, I look this way because of all that stuff. And I just kept like working myself up and like saying to the people around me, like, are you guys looking at this? too? Like, can you see me? Do you know what happened? And I just wanted to like go to the counter with all the cortisone and just like put it all in a cart and throw it in the trash and like make a big scene because that's how angry I was and that was ugly you know like that was scary to see that side of me and I don't even want to say like that's not me like I really don't accept I don't accept when people say like that's not me right like yeah it is you sometimes we're appalling sometimes we're horrible people sometimes we are really angry and really ugly and I'm so grateful actually that this illness has brought that ugly side out in me so that I could have a conversation with it. Wow. And I could say, hello, um, Miranda, my <laughs> alter ego bitch. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Miranda, you're here right now. Like, what do you have to say? And give her some voice. Because if you just keep like kind of repressing those, that anger and that sadness and that like, you know, self-righteousness and all of that, like, that's actually pretty unhealthy and that's going to be somatized and it's going to come out in worse sort of for me, it's going to bust, like it's going to come out in hives. So yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I'm grateful for is to be, to have the opportunity to meet the, the shadow side of myself and then to witness the love and acceptance that people who care about me, like just showered me with, you know, like in the moments when I deserved it the least, nobody left my side you know like the people who really care about me were just so quick to just forgive and hold and soothe me and remind me of like you know how how truly lovely I can be despite despite my episodes and my meltdowns so yeah I've got a huge sense of gratitude for the people who didn't want to just you know shut me out and um I mean, one of my favorite memories is scrubbing your back in the bathtub and bringing you Thai food and taking ice baths together when there were fires in Santa Barbara and we had to evacuate our houses the next day. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. what else do you get those real, raw moments with people? And, like, no, I wouldn't wish them upon anybody, but I also wouldn't really wish them like away from anybody because now our friendship that we have is so much deeper than it would have been if neither of us had ever gone through this like yeah these are some of the realest conversations I have with somebody and it's just because of the terrible things we've been through with our bodies (laughs) yeah 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 Tara oh my god that's really beautiful I remember one day when you and I were in San Francisco together and you were just having insane headaches and backaches and just unbearable, like couldn't leave the house. And I picked you up and I took you t- to do some some blood work or something. I don't know. We went to a clinic together in the marina. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, we went to um, we the, went beach. To the boat, the boatyard. <laughs> yeah, we were just sitting there on the lawn and looking at all the boats. And I remember this feeling of of closeness to you but I also felt like kind of a distance of not really knowing what you were going through I felt like I this was because this was before like my whole Mm -hmm. journey and I wanted to be able to relate to you more deeply you know like I wish I I wish I could have like a more authentic kind of empathy but I had no idea what you were going through I was so young I had never experienced anything like it I just Mm -hmm. was I was just sitting there with you which was the best thing that I feel like I had to offer at the time but now that like we've had such 
you know, we've had our, our kind of different and separate journeys, but there's been so much overlap and it's just been such a great source of connection. So I just want to encourage anyone who's going through this illness to just look for that opportunity, you know, to not be feeling like you always have to find meaning and always like turn it into something beautiful, but you can like really, if you look for something that can be like a source of gratitude if you can look for something that's like a silver lining or like a little bit of meaning or purpose to all the suffering like it will be there every time I looked for that I found it yeah yeah and I mean at at the time you just being there I mean I was 21 I was so little (laughs) and you just being there and even me being able to say like I don't feel well Like for a person who loved to be the life of the party, that was so hard. So even you just being able, like as a friend, for anyone who has friends going through something similar, to just let someone tell the truth about how they're feeling without um, them feeling like you'll push them away or don't want them around or whatever. But it's that same way that you were talking about, about in your ugliest, most, you say undeserving, but I say beautiful moments somebody still loved you. And I think that's one of the best things we can do for each other as humans. Mm-hmm. And I also think that's why I think this journey is, at least it's why I'm going into physical therapy, but I also think it's why you're going into therapy and psychology is because we've gotten good at holding people's terrible things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I, I laugh because I love to do it because the thing is when when you're not alone with your terrible it's not as terrible you know yeah 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 I know I agree I think early on in this journey for me it felt like my life was on pause like this illness was some kind of an interruption like it was something that I had to just get to the end of so that I could really be living life again and somewhere along the way I just slowly came to realize that it was my life Mm -hmm. you know I think that's part of the acceptance but like this is normal and I'm so grateful that I grew up in a house where we could actually talk about our like negative emotions and things because I see some people going through illness and it's like there's a stigma you know like you don't want to be the sick person Mm -hmm. I get that you know I get that you don't want to be a burden to other people you don't want to be always be like the one complaining about your pain this and that when other people are just trying to have a good time but I never actually experienced that you know like when I actually put voice to some of the things that I was really struggling with and like really shared stories of my pain and my sadness I didn't, I never experienced people that were like, oh, please leave. Like, please go away with that. Like, that's too messy. I don't want to be around that. I mean, if the, if there were people like that, good to know, right? Because then I can, you know, how about let's not be in each other's lives anymore. But like, <laughs> what I actually found was that people were drawn to it. And then they found some kind of a, like, space to share their own story, you know? So totally. it's not like too messy and too sad for a lot of people to deal with it's actually like an opportunity to share their pain it's almost refreshing yeah it's refreshing it's like authentic and it's raw and it's real it's It's like yeah life sucks sometimes like let's just talk about how life sucks I think like really the best way through it is is to be like fully experiencing the weight of what it is yeah oh I want to read this quote from the velveteen rabbit to Mm. to finish off our conversation but before I do is there anything else that 
you wanted to share about your journey? Yeah, I have one. I have one thing. I guess I I would want to wrap up, and I'm so excited you're going to read Velveteen Rabbit because I was brought. To, I had never read that until I was going through steroid withdrawal, and my skin was so horrible, and I just felt like I was this ugly, worn out bag of flesh, <laughs> and uh, it brought me to tears. So I'm so glad you're going to read it. Um, I guess I what I wanted to share was that in this journey of coming to accept everything that illness can take away from us. Um, I think the most important thing is to refuse that it takes away your light and your joy and your love of life. You know, I think that we are as human beings, like given a gift of life and we ought to take a vow to love it in sickness or in health until death do us part it doesn't have to be perfect to be deserving of our love like it's our life you know and it it, there is so much to love in it um this illness really kind of stripped away a lot of things that I expected out of life and you know there was a tremendous sense of loss and of grief but I noticed somewhere along like the road of just being super depressed about it all that it felt like there was this dark cloud over me you know that I wasn't joyful that I wasn't funny that I wasn't like you know like taking pleasure and other things that like I really I really could be enjoying and um I just had to I just had to refuse that so I just want to share that like all the things that illness can take away from you just don't let it take away your your love for life itself because you know that's really all we have you just gave me goosebumps all over. I don't know. Well, I love you. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to read the quote from the Velveteen Rabbit? I have no. it right here. Go, go for it. It's the best. Okay. I actually saw it in a coffee shop in Mendocino for the first time. It was on the wall. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Real isn't how you're made said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. But when you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once? Like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. And your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly. Except to people who don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's up? So, Amanda, are you healed? Wow, the big question. Um... I can say that I have a different definition of what 
healed means now. Um, if I judged my healing on like purely on the condition of my skin, I'd, I'd have to say no. Like I still get rashes. I still have my bad days. I still look in the mirror and I get disappointed. But, you know, I, I don't think that that's what healing really is. And I do feel healed now because I'm not waiting for that day anymore. You know, I'm, I'm done with this, with the suffering of all of this. I'm done with defining myself as the sick person. You know, this chapter of my life is behind me now. And I think that there's still going to be moments of like feeling disappointed and, you know, having, you know, having those low points, but I'm not waiting to have perfect skin anymore. And so, yeah, I think that's why I feel healed now. The relationship to your illness, that is what heals. Yeah. And the illness doesn't matter as much anymore. Like it does. Obviously we don't want headaches and we don't want our skin to suck, but when I like had written in my journal, I wonder what it's going to feel like that day, like when I'm healed and it was like, home girl, you could be healed today. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like a freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a freedom from not being consumed by the sensations of it. You know, like I wake up one morning, I've got hives. Oh, okay. Well, today it's going to, it's like, that's how, that's how it's going to be today. Yeah, but it's not, it doesn't like spin me into this huge spiral of anxiety and depression and I'm fearful of it. And, you know, and like, that's what heals. If someone's at that point, like, that's okay. You know, it took me years to get to this place and I I couldn't have rushed it along, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, thank God I'm not getting so like spun out and depressed over every little flare. So that was really what was holding me back. You know, that was holding me back from hundred percent more than the physical condition of it. It was the being so disappointed and being so consumed by it and so fearful about the flares, you know? Uh, in Buddhism, they say there are two arrows and one is the arrow that life shoots at you. So like your illness. Uh-huh. And then two is the arrow that you shoot at yourself. And I feel that being healed is when you stop shooting that arrow at yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right. Let's end this.